Thank you, Howard, and thank you for asking me to share. One of the best things that helps me uh, every day since I got sober is remembering where I came from. Because if I don't, then what happens to me is I start to think the problem of the day is the problem that is that I got to worry about. And that's not the problem I got to worry about. I got to remember is that if I don't pick up a drink today, then those problems aren't going to get any worse for me. And I'm not going to become the problem. And so I need to always remember where I came from. And the thing that my mind will erase first was the pain of yesterday. So, um, it's kind of a human defense mechanism as I view it to uh, distance yourself from the pain. But unfortunately for me, if I forget where I came from, I might uh, think of revisiting it. And uh, there are times in my life where it has hurt so bad, I almost flirted with the idea and thought I didn't give a shit, let it come. Because um, sometimes when you on a lot of stuff that you go so overwhelmed and uh, so exhausted, that you, your thinking just goes south. Uh, the other great tool that I got right from the beginning from Alcoholics Anonymous was they would say this over and over again, we're too lonely, too tired. And I was those things. And I was tired of trying to even live when I got here. But I'm gonna back up just a little. Uh, before I do that, I wanna tell you something so that you know that this thing works. I have a life. And why I call it a good life is I'm able to deal with things that are really hard for people to deal with. Uh, my daughter's birth defective. was a time, even back when I was drinking, when I could take excellent care of her. But alcohol robbed me of that. And I was not able to do the things I needed to do for her for a period of time. And alcohol helped me get back to that. I helped me to pick up the pieces of my life and learn to live with the pain and the sorrow. She had now uh, for four years. And um, some of those days, you know, she will just cry most of them. And uh, now she doesn't today. She's thriving, she's in the bed, but she's doing her projects. And we've gotten through the time and some days, boy, I'll tell you about all I could do was show up. Um, either on Zoom or at a regular meeting when we had the regular meetings going. But I mean by that is face meetings. So um, anyways, I also have had a full career in um, sobriety. I published people. I'm a retired editor publisher of poetry, a particular kind of poetry ads you might find interesting. I published biker poetry. And um I was an editor for a column at Biker Newspaper for 10 years, which I, and I love being able to meet people. My husband, uh, who was my ex due to safety reasons, uh, got gangrene. He was still an active alcoholic and uh, he suffered horribly and I was his medical proxy and AA helped me to do that. It also helped me to not um, interfere with his relationship with his children to allow them to be safe. And I, I did teach that and they were able to do that and stuff their dad. And uh, um, those are some of the highlights that I consider. I've been all over the United States. Um, when I go there, 
AA is my home. It's my base. I don't care what kind of a meeting it is. I've even been to men's meeting when I was traveling and been welcomed there. So um, it allows me to do many things I would never, even if I were just sober without AA, because I know that about who and what I am. I have anxiety. I don't get to get rid of that. I'm an alcoholic of the depressive. We'll write a little bit more about that. I'm not a person that can take medication. It's got nothing to do with anybody in AA. To be honest with you, very few people can tell me what to do. I learn by listening and I learn by trial and error. And sometimes if I see something that looks like it might work for me, I'll give it a try. And I came into Alcoholics Anonymous with another woman who had a bipolar. And her and I, I had clinical depression. She had bipolar. We hung close together and we were always loved and accepted. I know other people have had different, ex different experiences, but that was not my experience and it was not hers. She died sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. She actually had an aneurysm while she was chairing a meeting and I lost a great friend and uh, her sister's a part of my life now. This is all the result of staying sober one more day. You know, when I thought I couldn't, and I couldn't make it. So that's a little bit about what I'm like now. I'm a grandma of it, and I love being called Nana because it reminds me of my blessings in life. And yes, I'm an atheist, but I have some things, freebies that come from other people that are blessings uh, or even from nature itself. I just marvel at, and it heals me. So what happened? How did I get? Um, uh, when I started drinking, I was probably about 15 years old. And the first time out of the gate, uh, the disease, and I call it a disease just for the use of a word, um, it's a condition of alcoholism, made itself known to me. Even like the taste of it was gin, tasted like gasoline to me. I wasn't putting it in a mixed drink, we were drinking it out of the bottle. And there were guys there and things happened that I was ashamed. And, and when I went home, I went home to a house that was loving, alcoholism, no drug addiction. I was very privileged like that. Um, it was a uh, class family. We lived in a nice house in a suburban neighborhood. My father was a hard worker. He was an immigrant from Italy. And my mother was um, second generation Irish. And her mother before her was from Ireland. So. Um, that's the house I grew up in, and it was a different time. I was born in 1948. That world hardly exists at all in the world that I grew up in. Our windows were all open. They had screens on them to keep the bugs out, but they were never closed. The doors were never locked. Um, we had fruit trees. We had all kinds of things, and dogs were allowed to be dogs, and they peed outside in their own way in the bushes somewhere. And people didn't have to walk around picking up their poo with a bag. It was a different world. Um, we had food delivered. There were no big supermarkets at first. And it was years before we had a TV. And because my parents came through the Great Depression, uh, they didn't usually let you use the electricity very often. But I always felt safe and I always felt loved. But I was always extremely shy, extremely shy. I was, uh, I had that right from the get-go. And uh, 
that didn't get better at school. When I was at school, I always sat to the back. If you knew me and you were lived around here, you'd know that when I go into a meeting to this day, and I'm 72 now, I still sit to the back. I don't like being in the spotlight. I don't even really like doing this. I do this for a reason. Um, I don't like attention. It just, I just, it makes me sick. And so I always sit, sit to the back. I'm not a person to walk across the room and shake your hand. You usually go over to me. That's not because I don't like you. It's because there is this weird anxiety I get paralyzes allow me to do that. Um, and that didn't change a lot. It changed a little. The only thing that changed about that over the years is I don't care about it anymore. I just accept it as part of me and I learned to live with it. Um, uh, let me see. So anyways, here I was, this person, and what did booze do for me? So it didn't make me a social butterfly. Some did. Some of my friends, when they drank, they became the funniest life of the party people you could imagine. I used to sit there and laugh my ass off at the stuff that they did, but that would not be me. What it allowed me to do was to drink and be in my own little uh, weird little corner and not think about it and not worry about it, not feel good. It just removed that for a while. It didn't last forever, but in the beginning, it allowed me to be me and to allow me to fit in to a degree inside of a social circle. In high school, I didn't hang around with them, I didn't do sports, I didn't join the debate. Pretty good student at home after school. I didn't get in trouble, but I knew everybody in that school that did. I knew them all and I knew what they, and boy, did I long to do it. So uh, then when I turned 18, I had my first intentional drunk. I had a friend buy me a case of beer. I didn't even drink beer. And I ordered a case that ought to be a sign. And I had one other girl with me. And we drank as much as put in us uh, that night. And it was in the back of the school today. Yeah, that's a federal offense. We'd probably be in friggin' jail. But back then, uh, we hung out in the back of the school all the time. And the time the cops saw where I lived, if they caught up with you and you were drinking, they just take your beers, you know, and then the 60s hit. And of course, they take the pot and the beers and send us home. World, And um, my world was one of family. It was always family. We did all kinds of things. And the people in the hood, I was expected to help them. I was expected to go over and, you know, give them a hand. And I wasn't allowed to take money for it. I was supposed to help you. That's how my parents were. Um, so I can't remember ever being a little bit of my father because we always heard the, you wait, father gets home, girly. You know, <laughs> you better have that homework done when he gets in this door. My father, when he got in the door, he was a hard worker. And he'd go out to the garden and he would do what he had. So that not like a Walton existence. And uh, then alcohol opened up my horizons. By the time I was 20 years old, well, let's say 19, I'm out in California, the 60s of it. And I have left home. Um, and my father was of the mind that, hey, you want to go? Go ahead and go. One less mouth to feed. Go ahead, go out there, go see what happens. So there, and I went out to California. 
and I got into pot and hallucinogenics and I thought I was on the magical mystery tour and it was great. It was a lot of fun till the magic turned tragic and I got in trouble and I was in and I had to get out of there. So my husband, my first husband was um, a Vietnam War veteran and he came back. Well, he didn't really come back from the Vietnam War. Some part of him came back, but uh, he wasn't the same as when he went over there. I had no we were best of friends and uh, we got married when he first got back and um, he was uh, definitely into drugs and alcohol I didn't know he was an alcoholic I really didn't think about it we didn't think of anybody that thought about stuff like that back in the 60s but anyways um, that didn't work out and we knew it but we were still best of friends and we did have a child and neither one of us was equipped to deal with having a child or deal with a marriage. And so that uh, ended and I ended up back home. Now, whenever I would uh, not drink and drug and try to pull myself, this is what would happen to me. I would become depressed, severely depressed. I'm not talking about sad. I'm talking about the kind of depression where food does hold on in. Being out of bed does not interest you. You don't even know you're sad. You don't know what's wrong with you. You're just kind of loose. And uh, I would get like that. And I'd be there for six months. And I had these room darkening shades that didn't allow light in there. And my mother would get there and she'd take care of the baby. She finally called friends and say to them, you got to get her out of here. This is not good. And of course she would say that. She didn't know what to do with me. And it's not like today when you got a therapist on every corner. It was a lot different back then. So, uh, and there was a big social stigma to being mentally ill. And when you were mentally ill, um, that was something, wasn't something people talked about. And they didn't want to think of me as mentally ill. They are alcoholic, to be honest with you. But anyways, my friends come over, gave me a black beauty, and life began again. I was up and running. I was wide awake. That did the trick. That speed just did the trick for a little while. And what did I do? I ended up going to the bar rooms, and I fell in love with going out to the bar rooms. I became a bar fly. Loved being in the bar rooms. They'd be in the dock. They'd have you know, the low lights and the music and you could watch people and you didn't have to interact. You could just sit and drink. Eventually, I found out the best way to get your drink on time was to sit at the bar. So I literally became a barroom drinker and I was only interested in sitting at that bar. I had my bar seat and that's where I was going to sit. Now I, I remarried and my, I had no idea. Uh, I should have known but I didn't pay it to things at all because I was always busy, you know, going to have, uh, uh, got to get out of the house and have a good time. And uh, I didn't realize that he was a falling down pissy ass drunk when I, when he was courting me. Uh, I should have known it. Uh, one night I went there for Christmas and we were going to go thing and um, I got to, we were going to meet at and he was on the, sidewalk they had thrown. how did I not know I don't know it didn't matter he was cute and my girlfriend thought he was cute and he drank and he laughed and he made me laugh and I thought he was charming and so we got married 
And um, I think he really loved me and I think I really loved him, but I'll tell you, booze took that away from us. And uh, all the things that happened as a result of that, we tried to, we tried to have a real family. And we had a daughter that was born melted from birth defective. And um, blame that, the drinking on that, because we were all already flaming alcoholics when she was born. I could contain mine more at that time than he could. I could, um, I had antidepressants that allowed me to sleep and um, I could get up and I could take some speed if I wanted to, if I had to go listen to her doctors about whatever. I could medicate myself to function for a while. And uh, I loved her tremendously. I've always loved my children. I've always been a nurturer, even with my friends. And um, so I, I learned everything I could learn about spina bifida. And um, she had quite a lot of problems, hydrocephalus, and she had all kinds of surgery. She still does to this day. She's never not been a, a 24-hour-a-day kid. Um, and I threw myself into that. And I ended up having another child. And I brought my three kids to the hospital with me all the time. I stayed away from him as much as I could. His violence grew. I know now today that was because of alcoholism. It had nothing to do with wanting to be like that. And when he wasn't completely drunk, he was the nicest man you could ever meet. And he loved his children, and I know he loved me. But when he was drinking, he was the most horrific asshole there was on the planet. He would light my hair on fire, try to throw me out a window, never hit the kids, but he hurt them. Uh, sometimes I think physical violence from the mental abuse um, that goes on with an abuse that may be able to feel safe in their own home, that doesn't trust what they think or say anymore. And I became very quiet and I, I could only get out of, so it kind of controlled my drinking for a little while, but I became very ill, very, very ill. Um, I couldn't function at all with the kids like that. But uh, I lost that too. I lost that. Eventually, alcohol took everything away from me. It took everything. In the meantime, in the middle of things, I would develop a plan for fixing me. Uh, it was either therapy. I always had some kind of therapist, psychiatrist. Because every now and then, I'd take too many, many sedations, too many tranquilizers, and I'd end up having my stomach pumped and they'd ask me if I try to kill myself. And you know what? I didn't care what the answer was. So I would look at them and say, I guess so, maybe. So they'd put me in the hospital. And in my head, I'm thinking I'm going to have a rest. And then I'd get in there and it was a hellhole out of it. And it wasn't so easy to get out as it was to get in, let me tell you. And that stuff would happen to me. And then I'd have to play the game in order to get out of there. So I'd play the game to get out. Only one time did I mention alcoholism to me and it was one of the aides that came in and he said, when you get out of here, I have this nice group that I run. Uh, it's for young alcoholics and that, why don't you come to it? And I said, well, here's the thing. One, I'm not an adolescent and two, I don't have a drug or alcoholism problem. I'm, I'm a depressive. And if I'm not depressed, and I won't get out of this situation or I get out of that situation. So that. And he'd say, well, here's the address if you choose. 
being dramatic and did but other than that there was no mention of any of that not even in my family I know today why that is because I was an introvert and I was quiet and I didn't get arrested and I didn't cause trouble and I didn't go try to act out at home I I stayed away from people I just went there into the bottle so to, to speed this up a little bit I'll tell you that I many things. I was a human rights officer for one entire region. I had good jobs. I was a case manager. I ended up back in school. I would do things in between as I could, always thinking it was going to fix me. I had no idea what, but it was going to fix me. And then curiously, what would happen is a, the thought of a drink would come in, no matter what it was I was doing. And once I thought about drinking, there wasn't anything that didn't go into that drink. I was uh, three weeks away from graduating from Merrimack College. And I had, I was on the list. I was the, I was one of four people that was um, offered to um, compete for the um, Cardinal Cushion Scholarship uh, to have my master's degree paid for and um, completely paid for. And there was four of us on it, but I had that already right there. Three weeks away from graduation. I went to the 99 restaurant for lunch. I was mad at a professor. I didn't like the way she was dealing with me. And I made this decision while drinking with my friends at the, at the bar, at the 99 bar, uh, that what I was going to do, I was going to drop out in my last three weeks um, and go back next semester so I didn't have to deal with that professor. And that was the most frigged up thinking you could ever have. And there was nobody to tell me it was dear either. Nobody. I didn't hang around with anybody that had any bright ideas. All my friends all drank like me or I didn't hang around with you. And uh, I went back there and that's exactly what I did. And back, oh, I don't know, I was probably five years sober when my sponsor said to me, um, maybe you should go back to Merrimack and try to, you know, that degree and clear up some of your wreckage. And I said, why would I do that? She said, because you walked away from that school to drink. And they had to see whether or not they would allow me to take the last two courses I needed to get my degree. I went, alcohol took me from being at the top of my class to being, having a hearing to see whether or not they wanted to allow me to have my, my bachelor's degree, never mind my master's degree. And I thought, what? They just don't know who they're dealing with. But I went through it and, uh, I got that degree and I was sober and my kids got to come and watch me graduate. And you know what I did with that degree? Nothing. I'm going to tell you something. When I got sober, not a lot about me changed except that I wasn't drinking at first because that was all I could do. That's all I could manage. Uh, by the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm not a daily drinker. I was, I was alcohol dependent, not talking about addiction, Alcohol dependent upon alcohol. And if it was removed from me, I could go into seizures and die. I needed it. And I couldn't put food in my body. 
and I saw people that didn't exist and I talked to them and I would shadow box all the time. And I was, my was swollen, my belly was swollen. Um, I was a mess and I could not for the life of me even see that I had a problem. You'd think I would know I had a problem. If you come up to me and said, you're an alcoholic, I would have said, of course not. <laughs> I drink because I want to drink. Now, here's the, here's the ironic part of that. In my agency, one of the jobs that I had there was to do um, uh, counseling with ex-offenders as they were released from the jail. I even worked in the jail at one time. And guess what we did? We did substance abuse and addiction. And I used to take them to AA. I take their wives to Al-Anon. It isn't that I didn't know. I knew up here, but I didn't know in here. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with people, places, and things, and everybody else had nothing to do with me. I could see my husband was an alcoholic. I took him to AA a few times, and I'd sit there and poke him and say, did you hear that? Did you hear that? He'd say, well, you seem to hear it. Maybe you need to be here. And I'd laugh. You know what? The truth is, I was at home in AA and didn't even know. I was right where I needed to be, and I didn't even know it. And back then, they smoked in meetings, had a low ceiling. You were in a chamber of smoke, and I loved it. I loved all, and I wanted to bring him back. And I got the big book for him to read, and he wouldn't read it, and I was reading it. Then I got the bright Al-Anon, and Al-Anon would teach me how to get him out of the house. So I went there to try to get them to tell me how to get him out of the house. And they told me that I was the one that needed the help. And I couldn't, I'd say, well, yeah, I need help to get him out of the house. And I couldn't hear anything else they were saying. Well, one other thing, they told me to keep a bag outside the door somewhere with clothing and medication and stuff that the kids needed. And that if my husband tried to abuse me again to get out of the house before the fight, that I was gonna be saving my life and theirs. They did teach me something and I did learn how to do that. Uh, but it still, it still went and progressed the way that it did. And it didn't get me over, I can tell you that. So um, I, I just further and further into why uh, alcohol. And I know today why. See, I, the drink took a drink me. And I never knew where that drink was going to spit me out. And by the time it did, by the time I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, um, I was half dead. I was, I was the walking dead. And I went, I heard what's called the Looney Nooney in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And um, there was a lot of old timers there. There was a lot of guys that uh, tell you where the dog died, get on your horse and get out of town. They didn't put up with bullshit at all. But there were also people there that were like kind and they smiled and they welcomed you. And I'll be honest, I didn't like them at all. And you know why? Because the light hurt my eyes. When I would look at them, I felt so much shame and degradation inside of me that I couldn't stand looking at them. I didn't even know them. I just knew that it hurt and I had to get away from them. I was never going to be like them ever. And I knew it. I didn't even know how I was going to survive. I wanted to kill myself day in and day out. In fact, I hoped that alcohol would take me out. And here they were asking me to stay alive one more day. And I think to myself, 
I'll do it for one stop me anyway. So I'll do it. I'll play your silly game with you. But the old timers would hit me right between the eyes. They'd say, it isn't pretty where booze and drugs took you, is it? You know, if you don't take a drink today, you'll never have to go through this again. You're going to have to suffer for a little while, baby. But you'll never have to go through this again if you don't put a drink, a pill. Well, that's what they used to say where I live. A drink, a pill, or a joint in your body. You might make it through the day. And um, I didn't want, I didn't like them. And I tried to avoid them, the people that talk like that. But you know what? I never could get it out of my head. It was like a monkey on my back. I'd be walking past the barroom. And I hear it in my head. Jesus, if I drink, they're going to say, see, you want to drink. I said, I'm going to fucking show them. I ain't going to drink. And that's how I got so, the arrogance of the alcoholic was going to show them that I was not an alcoholic and I didn't need them. That's what I was going to do. And I'd go home and all I'd do was cry and be a mess. You know, I detoxed at home. They tried to get me into a detox but they couldn't get a bed for D. So they couldn't give me a bed because Sheriff and they could take care of. So I had to, I had to do it at home and I had to let them people in my house. I had to talk to them. I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want to let them in. And uh, these old times say, that's because you still want to drink. I'd say the hell I do. I don't want to drink. The hell I do. I'd say, who said that? The whole time I was thinking of drinking when they said, and I would just fight them and say, no, no. for me, we're all different. You know, we all come in in conditions and on, in, in different, um, what I mean by different conditions, I mean different stages of alcoholism and somehow addict that. And, uh, they have different resources and different lives. And, different, and they're also mentally different. You know, they can do different things. And sometimes you can do things other people can't. And I learned over the years that what I might be able to do, see, so I've learned not to try to push on other people. Anything other than staying away from a drink today and going to AA, you'll figure your way through. And I'll talk to you and I'll hang out with you. Uh, I'll talk to you all night. I'll talk to you for three freaking days if it'll help. You know, I'll do whatever I got to do. I uh, come into the AA that a lot of people have problems. I don't have problems with AA. I'm AA. I love AA, whether it's here or it's there. It doesn't matter to me. I love it everywhere. And I, I have a hard time with the social name. It's anonymous itself. And those principles saved my life. Cleaning house helped me. Learning what was mine, what was other people's, I needed that very badly. Could tell. I don't know about you, but I couldn't tell if it was me or them. Seemed like it was them, but maybe it was me. Or maybe it was me and it wasn't them. And I could go off on that for, for weeks at a time and do nothing but cry over it and not be able to eat. Today, um, I've had to deal with some other things, you know. I'm 72. Um, four years ago, I was told if I didn't get off of insulin, I would end up in, with a heart attack in about a year. I had type 2 diabetes. And what I was doing with my insulin was I would eat a dozen donuts and then take some insulin to get the sugar out of my blood. I wasn't doing anything I was supposed to be doing. I was eating because I damn felt like 
like it. I had gone up to 320 pounds. I was bloated, sick, and my heart was in trouble. I was either going to get off the shit or I wasn't. And I knew that because I was sober a long time. I couldn't have done it the day before. Couldn't have done it. I, what I have learned is you'll do everything you got to do to you can't fucking do it another fucking second and then you'll do it. And that's been true for me. And that day when they said that to me, I didn't want to have a heart attack because Dini really bad. She was very, very ill and I wanted to be able to be there for her. So I went home and I got off of all the sugar and flour, not with OA, not with nothing. I just got off it because it was the only way to get off the insulin. And I haven't had insulin since that day, just like I haven't had to drink since I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. Some people have. It's not a moral issue. It's sickness. It's the disease. And, and it's the addictions. It's all of it. It's your life. It's not knowing how to deal with life. And it's getting tired. And so we need each other. We need to be able to laugh. We need to be able to cry. We need to be able to get angry. We've got to be safe. And this is what Alcoholics Anonymous gives you. And if that's not what you're getting, go to another. There's plenty of groups out there. Find yours where you can hang out. And shit, if you can't do that, you know, shoot me a text message. I'm on one. I don't care. Shoot me a text message. You know, that's all. I can't change what happens for you, but. I can talk to you anyways and help you to hang in there too. You can, you can stand up on your own two feet. Again, people have done it for me. I wouldn't be here 35 years if people hadn't been carrying me. And I'm going to leave you with this one last thing. My, my dear friend, Maddie O'Brien is gone now. And I talk about him a lot because I didn't like Maddie for a long time. Because Maddie used to go around and say how sweet it is. He was an old time friend of Dan's actually. And he'd say, how sweet it is. And I'd be suffering. And I'd think, you asshole, nothing sweet. Well, I became great friends with Maddie. And he was very good to me. And I grew to love that man. And before he died, you know, he said to me, uh, I said, hey, Maddie, what do you think? Do you think an alcoholic can, can like get sober without AA? Because I see him and he goes, sure, they can. Some people can do that. He said, but some people will die trying. And he said, you got to decide which one you are. He said, going without AA, when you're an alcoholic, for me, that's what he was talking about himself. It's like going uphill with, a, with an elephant on your back. Sooner or later, you get tired and you're going to fall down. And if you don't have a bunch of AA people around you to lift that damn elephant up, you ain't getting back up. He said, I ain't getting back up. He didn't say you. So I lied just then. I like to embellish. He didn't say that. He said, I wouldn't get back up, meaning him. And that stuck with me all these years. And uh, I'm so grateful that I got to know him and I, got, and I grew into loving him. And I'm Alcoholics Anonymous helped me to take care of that ex as he was dying. And that I'm able to take care of the things I got to take care of a day at a time. Anyways, that's enough out of me. I've talked a lot. I've said a lot. I hope it's helped somebody. Thank you.